As you find your seats, will you turn me in your Bibles? Your Bible's ready. We're going to be uh, starting in Genesis, make our way through the Bible, look at a couple different passages. As we continue a series this month, this month we're looking at the role of the church. If you were with us last week, we looked at church and government, and wow, is it an important time in our, our nation's history for us to understand what is God calling the church to be, to do, to respond with government, uh, especially as we uh, focus on an election. So, uh, and by the way, all sermons are available on iTunes or on our web, so if you miss, you want to go back, uh, let me encourage you to do that. This week we're going to look at church and culture. What is our role that God is calling us with culture? Next week we're going to look at church and crisis. How are we to respond to crisis in the world, in our community, in our lives? And then lastly, church in the world. There's an English theologian. It's true. Okay. He's a missionary theologian named Leslie Newbegin. He's with the Lord now. But he has written this sentence. He says, the church, the church, you and me, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we can be saved and set free by God's grace through the work of Christ, that the church is where the gospel and the culture connect. Newbegin rightly says that the church is where the gospel and the culture connects. Jeff Jakes has been telling you for several years that the church is God's A plan. That we, are, we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We have been made His children, His family. That we are God's A plan, primary vehicle to advance Christ's kingdom. Again, the church is God's A plan to advance Christ's kingdom. But how do we do this? And the answer of how we are to be the church and how we're to take this gospel to our culture will be determined by how we understand culture. What is it? And what is God calling us to do with culture? What should be our view? Let me give you a couple of definitions as we go that are going to be very important. First one is this, culture. You can think of culture like being cultured or... um, certain people with certain views, but I'm going to use the word culture to mean this. The attitudes and behavior that are characteristic of a particular social group or organization. Let me say it again. The attitudes, the behavior, the thinking that are characteristic of a particular social group or organization. That's how I'm going to be using culture. And church, to me, Church is God's called out. The Greek word ekklesia, meaning called out. That's what the New Testament calls of us. We've been called out of darkness, out of this world, into marvelous light. We once, by nature, were children of wrath. Now we've been brought into incredible God's family through the work of His Son, filled with His Spirit. Because of that, we are new creatures in Christ. The church are those that God has called out, born again, family of God. That's the church. 
Included Abraham and includes those yet to be born that he's going to call to himself. It's not a building. You and I, as born-again believers, we are the church. Well, the question is, how is the church to connect with culture? And it's been a, it's, this is not something new to us. It's been something the church has wrestled with. At times, they've wrestled with it being persecuted, being fed to lions, uh, being killed, being lit on fire to light up Rome for Nero. How in the world is that church to engage in such a hostile culture? And amazing, it was even Rome that had such a 180 degree turn that about 300 years later, Constantine would declare that the church was the official religion of Rome. And then we had a whole new way to try to figure out how does the church relate to culture once the state tries to mandate how the church should live. Interesting. By the way, the church usually does better being persecuted than it does being a state church. There are those who say that when it comes to the church, we should reject culture. Culture's bad, they're sinful, it's another kingdom, it's another world. We should completely reject it. Out of the Reformation, there were those godly men like Simon Menno. I don't have our religious, our, our theological convictions, uh, what we would call them Anabaptists. And they believed that culture was bad. They completely wanted to reject it. Anything that had to do with this world needs to be rejected. Is that our call? You'll see that there are religious groups that have followed their, their uh, leading. Maybe things like uh, gr- groups like the Amish. The Mennonites certainly can trace their history back to Simon Menno and the Anabaptists saying, all culture is bad. We need to reject it. Anything that culture has to offer is of Satan and not of this, uh, is of this world and let's reject it. There are those who say, let's just be separate from it. Let's separate church and culture. Kind of like many try to separate church and state. What you do in church and your thinking and your private life, that's great for you. But don't bring it into the realm of work. Don't bring it into the realm of culture. Separate it. As if we can ever separate who we are in Christ. As if we can ever parse those things out. Some will say, many Christians, maybe many of you have grown up with the thought of that Christians should create a subculture. A Christian subculture. Um, That we should have our own TV stations. That we should have our own radio stations. That we should have our own movies. Uh, that we should have our own politicians, that we should have our own way of thinking, our own Christian clothing, our own Christian testaments that make our breath smell nice, that we should have all Christian stuff, that we should create Christian subculture, and that we should be basically Z88.3. And not that Z88.3 is not good, but that might be our mindset for all of life, create Christian subculture. In our tradition, in the Reformed tradition, we believe that biblically we are called from the beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, that we as God's children, as the light of the world, that we are not called to create subculture, that we're not called to create a, a different culture or ignore culture, that we are called as the church to transform culture. That's why we're here. To take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
That's why on the back of your bulletin, you will see our mission statement. Our mission statement is the transformation of of Central Florida into the kingdom of God through the power of the gospel. That's why we believe we exist, but more importantly, that's what the Bible teaches us, and that's from the beginning. So journey with me this morning into God's holy word. Uh, We're not going to look at one passage. This is going to be a survey of likes as we look to God's word that communicates us to us, his family. Change the world for my glory. We'll begin in Genesis 1, being mindful that this is God's holy inerrant word. Whether we're in Genesis or Matthew or wherever, 1 Corinthians, this is God's holy inerrant word. It'll never lead us astray. And it is without error. Genesis 1, verse 27. God tells us, So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Both male and female, He created them. And now He's going to give us what is called in Scripture the cultural mandate, what we're called to do. In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, and the living birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food, and all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he made was very good on the sixth day. So from the very beginning, this cultural mandate, God has made us as his vice regents, as his image bearers, as his family, to do what he started in the Garden of Eden, create a paradise, a place where man and God could live together. And he called us to go now into the entire world, to bring light into darkness. Order into chaos. Beauty into the void. And then you get to Matthew. Matthew 28. You see at the end of Jesus' life, a commissioning, a recommissioning of sorts for us to do what we were called to do from the beginning. I'm going to read what's known as the Great Commission. So far we read the cultural mandate. This is known as the Great Commission. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, them being the disciples, and said... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And we'll read in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's understanding of how we're to accomplish this. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, free because of Christ, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. And here's what I want us to focus on. To the weak 
I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Let us pray. Father, there's great confusion today how your family should handle culture, how we should respond to the unbelief, to the God of this age that has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel. Father, we live in a scary time, a very scary time economically, a very scary time morally, a very scary time environmentally. It just seems like this whole world is shaking. It's falling apart. What do you want us to do? God, we need ears to hear from you. We certainly don't need my opinion. We need to hear from our Creator, the one whose image we reflect. We need to hear from our Redeemer, the one whose blood was shed to make us clean. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit, the one that lives inside of us. So, Father, come and do that which only you could do. Speak through a a broken vessel so that we can be the church, so that we can be the light of the world, so we can please you, advance your kingdom, and bring glory to your name. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd like to talk about the big story. We've got to talk about, start with there, the big story. What was God's big story when it comes to culture? What is his plan? We're going to touch on just briefly Jesus' story. What is his story? What is the church's story? And then we're going to end with what is your story and my story? God raised up in Denmark, of all places, a, an incredible man named Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was a theologian. He was a churchman. He was also a statesman. Abraham Kuyper uh, uh, educated many people, and he also became prime minister of Denmark. Wow. And he incredibly was used by God to change that culture at that time into the kingdom of God, probably more than most men in all of Europe. And he said this phrase. He had this sentence to say about God and culture. Listen. Kuiper wrote, There's not a square inch in the whole wide world domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Kuiper is saying that in all this creation, all the things that we do, all the activities of all the culture, of all that this world has to offer, Christ is the sovereign ruler over it all. And there's not one square inch of this world that he created where he doesn't declare in word and deed, mine. It's true because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. Do you know him? And as king of kings and lord of lords, he's calling us as his people to bring that reign and rule, Christ's reign and rule, over all of creation, over all of culture. And this has been God's A plan from the beginning, as we read in Genesis 1. God gives to us what we call the cultural mandate. God's plan for His people is that we are culture-shaping people. That's why He created us. But to create a culture that will bring Him glory. He told Adam... Adam, fill the world, fill the earth, subdue it, reign for me. Create a culture, a people that love God, that love one another. 
All of the world is under your rule and reign as you are under mine. And instead, we rebelled. Instead, we created our own kingdom. Instead, we wanted to create our own culture. And you guess what? It's a culture without God. Even in as early as Genesis 4 and 5, you get a man named Lamech who came and he created tools and, and instruments and he built cities and all the things that we would say, these are cultural things, but guess what? He did it for his own name. And flood came and wiped them all out. And God started over again and he took another righteous man named Noah and guess what he told him? The same thing he told Adam because God's plan doesn't change. God's plan doesn't change. He doesn't go to plan B. He says, now Noah... I want you to take this whole world and fill it with my glory. Subdue it all. And we rebelled against, against God again. And he says, I want you to go through all the earth. And instead, the people stopped. You get to a Genesis 11. Guess what? They all wanted to stop. They wanted to build a city themselves. They wanted to build a tower to heaven. They wanted to build a city for their own name. For their own reputation. And again, we see conflicting cultures. The cultural mandate, God has called us to go and shape the culture for His glory. But the culture of our sin, sinful man and woman, we create a culture of Babel. That's what our sin has produced. We want to live for ourselves. Don't you you still feel it? Don't you still feel that desire to still build a name for yourself, a city for yourself, a reputation for yourself, a retirement for yourself, a family for yourself? It's all sin. It's all a result of the fall. And now we have some cultures in conflict. And that's why Jesus had to come. He had to come for the rescue of us all. He had to come and shed His blood to wash us of all that selfishness, all that brokenness, and robe us in His righteousness. But He came not just to save us and to bring us into family. He came to restore us the way that we were meant to be. As God's people, again, doing what God has called us to do. And that is to fill this whole earth with His glory. That is the big story. That is why we have Jesus telling His disciples to go into all the nations. Listen, Church of the Living God, it has always been God's plan for you and me as His family members to go into the world wherever there is darkness and bring light. Wherever there is chaos and bring order. Wherever there is void and bring beauty. That is the plan from the beginning. We must engage culture. To black South Africans, the nation's rugby team for many years wore a green and gold national jersey. And it was one of the most hated symbols of apartheid. apartheid. Because it was a symbol that declared to all who were black South Africans... You're not one of us. And although there is a national rugby team that wore this green and gold jersey, for the most part, it was like the colors of a gang. I'm on this side. I'm white. And because I'm white, I support this national team. And it became a symbol of hatred for those who were black. As a matter of fact, they would play rugby in their stadium that held 63,000. And they only would allow 1,000 blacks to come. And they, they put them in one section, fenced them all in one section. So you had 62,000 whites, 1,000 blacks. And guess who the 1,000 blacks always cheered for? The other team. Because when they saw their national team come out 
and green and gold jersey, it was a reminder of hatred. Nelson Mandela knew that hatred. He spent 27 years in prison because of that hatred. And unbelievably in God's providence, a turn in his life after 27 years in prison, he becomes the president of South Africa. And in his reign, they had already agreed that they were going to have the World Cup of Rugby. I'm sure you T-voted. The World Cup of, of Rugby in South Africa in 1995. Nelson Mandela comes to a crowded stadium for the championship match between the world's number one ranked team, New Zealand, and the upstart South Africans. And he walks into a stadium with 63,000, 62 of which are white, wearing a green and gold jersey. And when the crowd noticed their leader, robed in the garments of their culture, they started chanting his name. Nelson. 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 Nelson, and unbelievably, the team went on for victory, won the World Cup, and as Nelson Mandela went out to provide the trophy for the captain of the team, again, now with tears streaming down their face, they chanted, Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. Because he, by wearing the culture, united the people. Black and white. There's a greater story. It's a story of Jesus. God made flesh. Who would come and wear our flesh. Our jersey. To unite sinners like us to a holy God. And how did he do it? He came embracing us by wearing our flesh and our jersey. And he came, the story of Jesus is this, to comfort the hurting. He touched those who were hurting. In Luke chapter 5, 12 and 13, it talks about a man filled with leprosy. And he was an outcast. He was completely shunned by society. He was so hurting. He had so much shame. And he cried out to Jesus and he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus did something amazing. He says, not only am I willing... Come here and let me touch you. Let me put my hands on you. And by what society will say, I'll be defiled, but I'm going to touch. Jesus came and he embraced culture and he embraced the hurting and he touched those who were broken. And we have to do the same in his name. He came to make the comfortable uncomfortable. The hardest time Jesus had was with the religious people. In Matthew 23, 4, he talks about the Pharisees who were unwilling to lift a finger to help others. About a religion that wouldn't engage culture. About a religion that wouldn't engage sinners. About a religion that thought that they were better than others. And Jesus said, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're burdening people with your religion. And it's not mine. Mine's about relationships. Jesus became what was known as a friend to sinners because you know what? He hung out with drunks and he hung out with prostitutes and he hung out with tax collectors. And he hung out with gluttons. And he got a reputation because of it. This rabbi was scandalous because he rubbed shoulders and went to parties that other religious folks wouldn't. And he became known as 
a friend. A friend of sinners. Church of the living God, that should be our title. We should be willing to touch the broken. We should be willing to rub shoulders with those in need. We should be willing to put our reputation on the line. Let me ask you, how many friends do you have that aren't believers? If we're just one another, family with one another, loving on one another, and shining our little lights with one another, where's the gospel touching culture? How many clubs are you in that have nothing to do with Christianity? What are you doing that really puts yourself uncomfortably wearing someone else's jersey for the glory of God? If the gospel... If the church is where the gospel is to touch culture, we got to go there. And like Jesus, we have to be friend of sinners. Teenagers, be careful. Because I think when you look at Jesus becoming a friend of sinners, he wasn't engaging in anything illegal. He was loving them where they are. I think that you can use that as license. A bad company does corrupt good morals. Listen to your folks. But sure, love the broken. Love the needy. That's what Jesus did. God in flesh rubs shoulders against sinners and he brought the kingdom of God with him and now we're called to advance it. I got such great stuff and I got to quit because it's noon. And uh, I'll try to fold some stuff into next, next week. Um, but again, you got the whole story of the Bible. It's always been God's A plan that we touch him. Jesus shows us very clearly the church, we're supposed to do what Jesus did. Isn't it true? That don't, don't lose me now. I, I kind of gave you a break to stop listening. Don't lose me now. Come on. As the church, we are now the body of Christ. We need to act like he acts, okay? Let's just say it that way. How did he act with culture? He engaged it. He touched it. He rubbed shoulders with it. He loved it. He never compromised. But he came to bring the kingdom of God and to announce good news. Now as a church, here's what we got to do. Touch it. Rub shoulders with it. Love it. Don't compromise, but advance the kingdom of God by being salt and light. And with your own story, be the light of the world. Don't put it under a bushel. I think that's what we do with subculture. Take every thought captive. Tim Keller has written a great book, The Reason for Belief and the Age of Skepticism. If you want to know how to engage your non-Christian friends, it's a New York Times bestseller. Come to Equipping Center class. Learn how to take every thought captive. Become all things to all people. Don't just be in a Christian huddle. We've got to break from here right now. We've got to break from here and go wherever God has called you to go shine. And it's okay. You'll feel his pleasure. Go shine brightly. Take every thought captive. Shine brightly for Christ. Don't compromise, but go. Go and feel his pleasure. Go and be the church. Go and be the place where gospel touches culture because you my brothers and sisters you are the church let us pray father god we thank you for your son jesus who came and he even came bringing your kingdom god his kingdom here on earth he showed us how to live. He showed us how to engage in culture by touching it, by loving it, by embracing it in a sense where we're just trying to love and touch and embrace to bring you glory so that more will come to know and love you as Father, so that more will come to know you, Jesus, as Savior, so that more will be filled with the incredible joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that the family will grow, so that more and more of this world will be transformed into the glory of God. Jesus wins. We're on the winning team. And no matter how much this earth shakes, our King is secure, and His kingdom will never fail, and it will advance to His glory. But now it's our turn to be the church and to bring that gospel into culture in the way that Jesus did. God, give us boldness. Protect us as we go. And as we go, we want to even be reminded that you taught your disciples even how to pray for this. Let me get ask you, family at Orange, would join me. As Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.